I'm not going to, I mean, everybody's got a favorite, but I'm just going to do a couple and, and get into uh, my story. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes calling me, calling me, and it trembled, trembled. Were you there? Were you there? Were you there? Were you there? When they laid him in the tomb? Were you there? When they laid his precious body in the tomb, Jesus, Jesus, sometimes, sometimes I shout and sometimes I tremble. Oh, I tremble, I tremble. Were you there? <laughs> they laid him in the tomb. Were you there? When he arose from the grave. Were you there? Jesus rose from the grave. From the grave. Oh, sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I tremble. Sometimes I get on my knees and I worship. Tremble. Tremble.
paupers when he knows himself we're children of the king so lift up the mighty shield of faith sound good, don't I? I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I'm here to share a story of mine, my story, that... um, all I ever wanted to do since I was four years old was sing for Jesus. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to do. But I have sang for presidents. I've sang for the royal family. The highest honor you can get is a Grammy Award. And I've won six. It's, it's okay. Not yet. I have been inducted to the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, But there was a hole. My parents planted a seed in me when I was young, me and my brothers. Uh, You're not worth the bullets to shoot you with. 
You're not worth the salt that goes on your bread. And you'll never amount to anything. Daily. 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 And my father was a Pentecostal preacher. He was also an alcoholic. So eight months would be in church and four months he'd be laying drunk. And he'd preach for four months and then lay drunk for three months. And that's the first face of God that I saw with my dad who didn't tell the truth. Who uh, didn't live up to his word and didn't live up to what he was preaching. So there was a whole lot of questions in me about will he do what he said he would do with me? But I, I remember uh, that voice you'll never amount to anything. It planted a field in me. They said it to me so often, I begin to say it to myself. And I didn't feel like I was worth it. I've sung on the Grammys. And they give you a Grammy. And you take it. And you go back to the hotel. And within an hour, it's like, I'm, I don't deserve this. This belongs to somebody else. And I couldn't embrace it because I wasn't good enough. I'll never amount to anything. It was a long struggle with me and those voices were constantly there from my childhood on. And I would meditate and I am the righteousness of God and I believe that. That he breaks the power of hell and I believe that. But I couldn't get free. And I was 26. And uh, I was in New York with uh, my wife and my brother-in-law and his wife. Uh, who played uh, oboe with the New York Philharmonic. And, and there were three Heinekens in the refrigerator. And I never drank because of daddy. Never. But I... I, you know, I had some buddies when we play golf and when we'd finish up 18, you know, they'd have a beer and I'd have a Coke. And I never judge anybody. It's between them and God. You know, I'm not the police. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I saw, well, other people, you know, a couple of them around me. And there were no more Cokes in the refrigerator. It was July and we were on the fifth floor of an apartment down in the village. And so, I drank one. And those voices got quieter. I had another one. And those condemning voices got quieter. And by the third one, they were almost quiet. And I began to lift my hands and praise the Lord. I can live this way. Those voices are silent. 
I can sing, I can preach free from that condemnation that I lived under, that feel that was planted in me that no matter what I did, there was, a, there was this feel that had grown up, grown up of just condemnation. And those Pentecostals and a lot of denominations, man, they are the police. They watch everything you do and they call you out on it. And they point their finger at you. And, and so I just hid. And when my daddy, him, him preaching and then him going and getting drunk, then him preaching and going and getting drunk, I, I learned how to hide real well. Real well I learned how to hide. I mean, I was raised at his feet and I knew how to hide. He, uh, they threw us out of the church when I was 13. Uh, voted us out because daddy couldn't get sober. And my deal was I would, I would uh, learn a song on the guitar. I, I couldn't play sports very well. I was short and slow and there's not a big demand in sports for that. But my mom taught me to play guitar when I was 11, and, and I began to play and sing. But my deal was I could learn a song through the week, and it was a church of 20 people. And there was always time, and Sunday night I would get up and sing my song. And mom told me to reach way down deep when I sang, but as a kid, because that's where the anointing is. And I was rehearsing that when I was young. And I would take my guitar and I would play and I would sing and, and begin to, to touch that supernatural thing. But they voted Daddy out. And Mama sent me down there to, to, to listen so I could tell her who said what. I'm serious. Thirteen. And I sat there while they condemned my dad, while they said horrible things about him. And I sat there and cried. Even my dad, you know, you love your dad. Although he was tearing our home apart, you love your dad. And so... It was, uh, they had the meeting Friday night, so the next Sunday night, that Sunday night, I had my little cardboard box guitar, a case for the, my guitar, and I walk into the church, I was going to sing my song. And my uncle, who took over, he spoke to me, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, Uncle, I, I came to sing my song. No, you're not. No, you're not. We don't want you here. We don't want you here. And that transferred shame, my gosh, that transferred shame is so powerful. And I lived in shame. And then when I had that first beer, all of that went away. And I started down a path that I didn't know was going to wreck everything about me. I was doing all these incredible things, but... <laughs> Inside, I was broken. And 
so I started down that path of you begin to drink and I never drank before concerts but it would be waiting for me when it was over because when you start doing that your body begins to crave it it's addiction and it cries out for its drug and so I would wait till the concert was over and that would take me back to the hotel or to the back of the bus and I would quiet everything my guilt and my shame oh are you talking about turning it up to 10,000 when I began to do that I turned into my daddy and I hated myself I hated myself and I couldn't get free and you're singing about Jesus and you see God move and he's healing people and people are being set free and I'm up here crying said Jesus me too Jesus me too heal me help me But it was a long road. There was so much down in there. I mean, I, I could go into the trauma of my childhood and what they did to me and my brothers that you should not do to children. You shouldn't do it. And you carry that. You feel like it's my fault. And you live in shame. And you hide and you hold secrets. And the whole time, it's, these seeds are burying so deep in the soil. And the roots went so deep. I would hear some of the men I respect the most saying, you deserve everything that God has. He'll open up the windows of heaven and bless you. But if you don't feel like you're worth it, you won't take it. God, I mean, he gives us the kingdom. And I'm standing here going, Jesus, I'm so, I'm just so messed up. And I would sing and I would praise him. And I, I meant every word of it. And I loved him. And I would worship him when I sang. But then when it was over, my body began to yell at me and crave. And after a while, I would start shaking. I'd start shaking. I had to have it. And you talking about hating yourself. I turned into my dad, who I despised for him tearing apart the family. And now he traumatized us. <laughs> and I began to do it to my family. I love Pentecostal churches. They always bring Kleenexes. You are amazing, Chris. You are really amazing. You are. Uh, I would try to shave and not look in my eyes or look in my face. I carried that was so much, so much shame in me. But I loved Jesus. I loved him with all my heart. But I could not get free. There's a man of God 
that I love and he's a spiritual dad to me. His name is Jerry Savelle. And I worked with him for two and a half years, almost three. And every time he would pray for me, even back in 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, every time he prayed. And I didn't know why. I, I mean, and he would break that generational curse. Every time he prayed for me, he would break the power of that generational curse. And I didn't know why. I was doing great. But that man sees things. And I believe he saw what was ahead of me. But I couldn't talk to anybody. And I began to turn inside. Turn inside. I pulled away from my wife because I was so ashamed. I pulled away from my children. I pulled away from friends because I hated myself. I hated myself. Again, God can give you the kingdom, but if you don't feel like you're worth it, you won't take it. I moved into a place that was dark and scary, and I was alone. But I loved Jesus, I did. When my uncle said, you can't come anymore. My mother had a key to the church and we weren't allowed to go back. But I would sneak down there when I was 13. And when there's, when there's chaos and addiction in the home, nobody's monitoring anybody. I'd stay out to 5 o'clock in the morning and nobody cared. I could miss school and nobody cared. Because everybody, mom and dad, were just like this. But when I was 13, and, you know, you can't talk outside the family. One of the worst whippings I ever got in my life, is dad was pastoring and doing good, and I told my little friend that mom and dad had an argument. And I just kind of talked about it in passing. But my older brother heard me. And he went back and told mom, you don't talk outside the family. You don't. You hold those secrets and you don't let anybody see and they preach perfection. You have got to be perfect. And he couldn't live up to it, but that's what he preached. But I would go down to that church at 1030 when nobody's around and I would, I would feel my way to the front. And man, when you're 13 years old in a dark church, <laughs> that was scary. But I feel my way to the front through, through the, the, uh, the pews. And there was a little lamp by the stage of, a, of the tiny church. And I turned that little lamp on because I couldn't turn the lights on. They might, somebody might call the police. But when I was nine and I told my, my, my brother told mom that, that I had said something outside the family. And when I got home, she's waiting for me. And she just started screaming, you don't talk outside the family. You don't tell anybody what's going on in the family. And she grabbed books out of the bookcase and was just throwing them at me. You don't talk outside the family. Then she came over and began to punch me in the face. You don't talk outside the family. And I ended up in a ball in a corner and her kicking me, kicking me. You don't talk outside the family. You hold the secret. 
and you're alone. I had no one to talk to. I couldn't tell anybody how scared I was. But at 13, I would go down to that church and I would I would get on my knees and somebody told me that Jesus was a friend. He could be a friend. And I would start talking to him and tell him how scared I was. And sometimes, and I did this for three months, just going down there asking Jesus to help me because I didn't know what to do and I couldn't talk to anybody. But I would kneel at that altar or I would sit in a chair and I would begin to tell Jesus, just talk to him like I'm talking to you. And there would be times I would wake up and I would be on the, on the floor looking underneath the altar not knowing how I got down there. But his presence was there. Sometimes miracles take time. They just take time. So when I began, I walked into my adult life insecure, scared, believing God, but I was alone. And I couldn't tell anybody around me what, what was going on. And then I couldn't tell anybody what I was doing. You don't talk outside the family. You don't tell anybody what's going on because they'll judge you and throw you out. So you hold your secret. And the secret was killing me. I mean, literally killing me. It was like cancer in my, in my spirit. And that field that they planted, it just kept growing. And I would speak the word over it. And I, and I would say what I was supposed to say. And maybe I could cut out a third of that field. But there was still two thirds that were accusing. Accusing. And I began to get really, really, really off track. Off track. And my wife saw what was going on. And my wife is, is amazing. She loves me and, and she carries a billy club. She's not passive. She'll tell me what she thinks. I needed it. I really did. And so I went to treatment. I was supposed to be in Australia touring there, and we had to cancel it, and I went into treatment. And when I came out, there was a tour bus waiting for me. And uh, and the, the, the counselors at the were really discouraging me from going back to that and not giving myself time. But promoters had put money in it and people had bought tickets and so I went, my wife traveled with me. And I got a hold of it. I started going to AA, still go. And I began to change. I began to change. My prayers started reaching heaven. <laughs> I started to like myself a bit. That shame was starting to be dealt with. And I could confess the word over it. And it was like a sledgehammer to death. And 
I had 10 years sobriety. And I was doing so good. So good. And I went to my dad's funeral. Who condemned me. Who hurt me. He was my dad. And I stood at that casket. And I loved him. And I hated him. I loved him. And I hated him. And it began to just stir up all of that stuff. I loved him, but I hated him. It's your dad. I did not know what to do with all those feelings. I tried things. But they were screaming so loud. And so I went back what I used to do. I want to quiet those voices. And I relapsed. And started the whole thing all over again. I had nine years sobriety. And mama died. And it was the same thing. I didn't like you as your mother. And you're at the casket. And you love them and you hate them. For what they did. I tried to clear the air with my dad. Before he died. And just talk to him about it. But he wouldn't go there. He just wouldn't. To the point I before he died. I said dad if I've done anything. In, in my life that hurt you. I want you to know I, I'm sorry and I want you to forgive me, hoping that he would give me that back. And he didn't. He was terrified to die because that old Pentecostal church, it was works, it was not grace. And he was terrified to die. Terrified to die. So he gave me nothing. And I left California where they were and went back to Nashville. And the shame and hurt, it just stirred all that up again. Nine years and Mama died. I relapsed again. Just deal with those, those feelings that would come up and just scream, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never amount to anything and you're winning awards and people are applauding you. And you go back, I'm just not worth it. I'm just not worth it. And I would turn back to that crutch of silencing everything. I wanted to be numb. I, I didn't want to feel anything. But it began to destroy everything around me again. And my wife said, I'm not living this way anymore. Because what my dad did to me, what my mom did to me, I was doing to her. I was shaming her. When she would talk to me, I would talk back to her about her life and what she did. I had no excuse. I went back to treatment. And folks, for some of us, I mean, some people, God heals them, boom, like that. But the rest of us is a, is a road that's, that is fought hard every day to reach the promised land. I had, uh, I'm jumping over so many things, but I just want to give you a short version. Um, The horror of sin. 
And, and people look at you and judge because they don't know what caused it. They look at a guy on the street, a drug addict drinker that, that's, that's holding out a cup, and we frown on them, and we don't know their story. We don't know how they got there. We'll see a prostitute on the street, and we condemn them, we judge them. Every prostitute, 99% of them was raped by daddy, uncle, brother, and they carry that into their adult life. You're not worth it. And we don't know the backstory of why somebody is crippled, why somebody is addicted, why somebody will come to church and then leave because they can't deal with the gills inside themselves. And it is a trap. It is a trap. People will sit holding secrets. They don't want anybody to know in this church here today. They're afraid to tell anybody because they're afraid they'll be judged. And Lord, they need to talk to somebody and bring them into their lives. They're afraid, like I was. I wanted everybody to think I was doing good and doing great. And inside, I was just crushed. And I would come to church or I'd sing a concert and I'd feel the presence of the Lord, but it would make me feel so guilty about what I was doing. And folks, I tell you, I was in hell, and I didn't know how to get free. And after Mama died, I went back to treatment again because I did not know how to deal with these feelings. And the therapists that I was seeing that I needed to see to help me put all these parts together because there were a whole lot of parts that I didn't know how to connect. It was like a, a, a thousand piece crossword, I mean, a puzzle to put together. And I needed help. So I went to this place that they focus on childhood trauma because the, my, my, my counselor said, you're never going to get sober completely until you deal with your family and the trauma of your childhood that keeps reaching up and grabbing you and pulling you down. And I went. And they made me face my childhood. I pushed it aside and acted like it didn't happen. It didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. I'm happy, I got money. Lord's blessing me. That, that's over there. I don't even talk about it. I don't even think about it. That's over there. It didn't happen. I mean, I just, you know, put it in the corner and shoved it over there and act like I was okay. It would reach over and grab me. The trauma, the pain of my childhood you see somebody and you don't know the back story. We just see the surface and we judge. They're not right. They shouldn't come to this church. I wish they'd leave. They're dirty. They smell. We don't want them here. Jesus loves 
Jesus radically loves. So I, 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 I'm going to keep this a little bit longer. But Mark Lowry is one of my best friends in the world, and every, every year we get together for three days. And there's about four of us artists that love each other and have history, history together. And we talk fellowship, talk scripture. Uh, Mark has got a great piano, and we would sing, and I'd bring my guitar, and we would sing. As God was healing the trauma of my childhood, and I was getting free, I was getting free. I was dealing with it. I would see what that caused in me and the pain that that caused in me. And I would take it in this pile and I would put it in the forgiveness pile. Piece by piece by piece. The ugliness, the beauty, the horror, the fear, the shame. Piece by piece. Take it, recognize it, see it, and put it in the forgiveness pile. And I began to change. That resentment against my parents. Hang on, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. The resentment against my parents. <laughs> I had empathy for God now because they were raising me just like they were raised. They didn't set out to ruin my life. They didn't set out to ruin my brother's lives. They were doing the best they could, and they were damaging all of us, but they were damaged also. And we go to church, and we sit, and we worship, and we praise, and we shake hands, and we love everybody, but in our hearts we're crying out for help. For whatever, whatever's going on in your life. I was at Mark's house, and there was a, a preacher, a pastor, and I call these guys prophets because they're men of God and have been men of God for a long time, and they have crossed over into that prophet area that speaks for God. And so I, I was at Mark's, and we were having a great time and singing and loving on each other and Mark would bring in food that guy loves food and and those Baptists eat but he would bring food and it was a joy but Mark's best friend Dina her pastor there was dying of cancer and he loved the DVDs that I did and Gaither took 16 songs and he put them on a DVD and he loved it he loved the anointing on my voice and his, his two sons that reached out to me, to Dina, to me, said he would just worship and cry. Those Gaither songs, the songs that I love. So they wanted me to come to the hospital. And they told me he loved the, the DVD. And so I took my guitar and I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll go. And when I got to the hospital, I was going to sing him a few songs, you know, if he liked my music. When I walked in that door after I'd taken piece by piece by piece, God had ordained this years ago. And I walked into that hospital room 
And there was a man of God that had preached in that area for 45 years. And he looked just like my dad. I wanted to turn and run. It just shocked me so. He looked like my dad. He blue eyes, white hair, big hands. Daddy was 6'2". And, and I froze. But those of us that minister and go, you suck it up and go. And you trust God. And you step out in faith. I uh, walked in the hospital room and I, he, he started churches in Texas and I said, Bishop Jones, you know, I took my guitar case. First of all, when I walked in, he threw his arms open. He goes, oh, Russ, oh, Russ, tears rolling down his face. Oh, Russ. And the first thing he told me, he said, I taught my boys how to live. And if God doesn't heal me, I'm going to teach my boys how to die. That's the heart of a father. That's the heart of the father. It's not me, 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 me. But he sees those around him and he sets an example for the rest of the, us to follow. I'll teach my children how to die. But I pulled out my guitar and and he'd say, Heartbreak Ridge and New Hope Road. A, a lot of the songs I've done on the, the gate. Oh, say what I'm glad. And I sang about 30 minutes, and um, they had cameras and videos to save it. And as I was leaving, his, his wife started saying they just kind of tired. And it was time to kind of wrap it up, so I put my guitar in the guitar case, and I started to walk out, and he said, Russ, would you pray for me? How do you pray for a prophet when you've just been doing this, doing this, and you're raw, and you're, you're empty, and you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and you've cleared the field, come, and begin to plant seeds of faith and love and hope and joy. Those seeds begin to grow because the shame was gone. I dealt with it. I looked at it, and I took it piece by piece. But I was getting ready to leave. And he said, Russ, would you pray for me? And I did not know how to pray. I, I put my hand on his on his shoulder and I and I mumbled something because he said, he's a prophet of God. I mean how do, how do you pray for a prophet? And I mumbled something. And before I knew what I said, I said, Bishop Jones, would you pray for me? <laughs> and he stands up. And I'm looking up at his blue eyes and his white hair. <laughs> and he puts his hands on my shoulders. And he began to pray and affirm me. Russ, Jesus, so proud of what you've done with your life. I'm so proud of what you've done with your life. You're the apple of God's eye. You're the redeemed of the Lord. And when you begin to say those things, a father affirming a son that was so empty in me, my father never did it. I collapsed to my knees. 
I began to cry. And he pulled my hand <laughs> to his belly. And he began to stroke my hair. Stroke my hair and say, oh, Jesus is so proud of you. So proud of you. And he kept affirming me. And the more he did, the more I cried. But my body had been dealt with. My soul had been dealt with. And that day, God healed my spirit. My, my time's getting short, but there's a few more things I want to say. Uh, I'm not going to pull the Bible open and have you read along. I just want to tell you so we can move along pretty fast. Uh, Luke 19, there was a man, and we all know this story, about Zacchaeus. And he was a tax collector. In Bible college, they told me they were hated by the Jews. They were outcasts. They cheated and they lied and they were rich, but they were despised. And no, 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 no more family holidays, no more, more bar mitzvah, bar, they were not welcome anywhere. And they forgot who they were. They forgot they were the sons of Abraham. They forgot the covenant of God that was made for them. And the Bible college, they told me that if you walked down the street and you would brush the tax collector, you would go home, change your clothes, wash yourself, and then go back out. They were unclean. They were bottom feeders. God did not love them. They were traitors. They had turned against their own people to work for the Roman government. One of my professors said that, that some of them uh, considered it a holy thing if you could cheat a tax collector. They were unclean, they were dirty. They had forgotten who they were. Let me paint this picture real quick and I'm going to sum it up pretty quick. But I love to hear myself talk. Uh, Let me just paint this picture real quick. And Jesus was the most holy man alive. And they'd heard about his miracles. They'd heard about his teachings. They'd heard about him opening caskets and people walking out. And most, most, a lot of them, anyway, thought, this is the Messiah. This is the one that's going to deliver us. This is the one... It's going to do all the things we've been waiting for for thousands of years. And he was short. Jesus was walking into Jericho with his entourage and his disciples and other people that were traveling with him at the time. And they were so excited to see this man, hoping he'll do a few miracles and to hear him speak. And just the rumors of him, they were excited to hear and see, hoping to see a miracle themselves. When they set this stage, this outcast is up at a tree. He wants to see Jesus. So Jesus starts coming into the throng of people. Radical love of Jesus who leaves the 99 and goes after the one that's lost. 
Zacchaeus was in a tree and Jesus come walking in and people were, were partying for him and, and, and just, you know, honoring him and, and excited to see him. And as he walked into Jericho, he stopped. And he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. And the people began to murmur and say, Jesus, we don't talk to him. Jesus, he's an outcast. Don't talk to him. We don't even acknowledge him. He's not worthy of anything. He's a dog. Jesus called him down. And I know Zacchaeus was probably terrified. And he begins to talk to him and remind him who he was. And the crowd began to murmur and complain and walk away. This is not the Son of God. This is not a holy man. He's doing the thing that we are not supposed to do. It's in our laws. It, it, it's in our community. We don't do that. And Jesus went to his home. I'm sure that was scandal. And he got some of his other tax collectors. She began, she's began to minister to those low feeders. <laughs> he began to reach out and love those those the, the ones that were despised and hated by the community, that were rejected by the community, that was yelled at by the community and cursed and damned and, and don't even get close to us. You're an outcast. But Jesus saw who he was. Jesus saw he had forgotten who he was. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. And you say, why am I telling the story? Because I was in a sycamore tree. And I felt like such an outcast from the people that were serving God. And I wanted to, but, but I couldn't forgive myself. I couldn't get away from my childhood. I couldn't get away from all of that. And so I pulled away and I climbed up in the sycamore tree. Just wanting to see Jesus. Just, just to look at him. I loved him. I was in my sycamore tree. But Jesus walked by that tree. <laughs> and he said, Russ, come down. Come down. Let's talk. And I started climbing down. And I said the dumbest thing I ever said in my life. I said, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> but we sat down and we had a cup of coffee. And he began to talk to me like he did to Zacchaeus. How worthy I was. How loved I was. I'd forgotten who I was. But one day Jesus passed by. <laughs> and he saw someone that had pulled away and couldn't do it right. And would come around people, but they felt different. They, could, they couldn't join in. They were in a sycamore tree. Couldn't get down. But then 
Jesus walks by. And he says, come down. Let's talk. I'll change your life. I'll make you new. I'll take all your sin away. I'll make you clean and whole. And we set the reset button. From this day on, you are free, clean, whole. Now go. I was supposed to sing the song here, but I, I want to turn this over to the past because I know there's people. I did, I did a DVD, and I was going to tell my story. I had a lot of sobriety, and the people asked me if I tell the truth about everything, and I was scared. But I did. I just told them. I, they did a DVD on me, and we, and we told the whole thing. But God told me, he said, if you tell your secret, it will encourage others to tell their secret. Jesus walked by. We don't have to hold secrets and be afraid and ashamed. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. I'll make all things new. I'll take away the things, that sin that holds you so tight. And I will throw my arms around you and I will love you. That's what he did for me. And I know there's people here that want that freedom too. And I don't know what's in your life. It could be family issues. It could be addiction. It could be fear that's holding you captive. You don't fit in. And you're being held captive. But right now, Jesus is walking by. <laughs> he's walking these aisles. And he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you love. I will give you everything you need to get well. <laughs> Jesus is passing by right now. I told my secret. Tell yours. They didn't throw me out. If they did, I don't care. I'm walking with the king. You don't have to hold your secret. I just told mine. You can tell yours to somebody. First thing to healing is telling somebody what's going on and not holding any side. I've kind of gone over my time, but I want the pastor to come. I, I know there is people in here. <laughs> Today is the day you can be free. Today is the day you can be made whole. Today is the day that you can start over. Set reset. Come to a community that loves you and won't judge you and condemn you because you're a baby and babies grow slow. You don't just come to Jesus and all of a sudden you're like Sister Anne that's been in there 50 years. Babies take time to grow, but we're not going to throw them out anymore. Pastor, would you come, please? Uh, don't applaud. That's, that's fine. I've been applauded so much, but never mind.
James says, confess your faults to one another and then pray for one another that you may be healed. I sense the same thing that Russ senses. That this morning there are here some of you, maybe many of you. That there are things down in you that have been planted in you and reinforced in you and then your own life seems to have reinforced them. You've acted out what was sown in you and we want everyone to think the best of us and as Christians we're very good at coming to church and raising our hands and praising God and as he said being very very sincere and caught in that trap and down in your heart there's a, there's a desire to be free but some of you have been caught in that so long you've given up hope you could ever be free and you're just learning to live your life where it is right now and the vision that God has for you the plans that God has for you the purposes that God has for you are so far beyond that. And He's arranged this morning. He's arranged Him to be here today. He's even changed the order of what we're doing for you. Because like Zacchaeus, He sees where you He sees where you are. Zacchaeus wanted to be around him but was afraid to be close. And there's so many in church that want to be around him and the things of God but are afraid to be close because they know themselves. But the love of God is here this morning. The presence of God is here this morning. The Spirit of God is here this morning to deliver you and to set you free. But Zacchaeus had to take a step of faith. He left his tax collection booth and he went and put himself in a place where he could see Jesus. And when he did that, Jesus responded. So I'm going to pray right now and then I'm going to ask you to do something. Father, I believe with all my heart you've arranged this day, this morning, and this moment because of how much you love every person here that's in bondage. Bondages that are down so deep in their soul and in their heart that they may have even lost touch with them until it was touched this morning. Fathers that have been hurt by their fathers. 
fathers that feel guilty because they've transferred it to their own children. Guilt. Shame. And then there's the shame of failing you, Lord. Of not living up to what we believe you required of us and expected of us. And so, Father, we pray right now that for everyone that's in that situation that you would touch their hearts. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you, if that spoke to your heart, I'm going to ask you to stand. That's your way of climbing into the tree with Zacchaeus. I'm standing. While he was singing, while we were worshiping, what you don't know is you said something to me this morning that helped set me free. Thank you. Because I was raised in something similar, not quite to that extreme. And it's always been hard for me to receive things from God. Give, give out, but hard to receive. And he said something to me this morning before we came out here. And while we were worshiping, I heard God speak to me, I'm pleased with you. And I broke. And then my mind kicks in and wants to dismiss it and say, well, that was just you. And that's all that, all that old mechanisms still trying to work in my life. So we're going to pray for you, each of you. I'm going to pray over you right now. And I'm, Russ, I'm going to ask you to pray. Will you pray? All right, we're going to pray. And I want to pray for this thing to be broken over you. So, brother, would you come and pray? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You love us so much. You love us so much and you want us free. But we have to come to you. And then you begin to show us how to be free. And you begin to change our lives. Sometimes miracles take time. But they come. I pray for the people that's being honest. Being honest right now. And as they're climbing down from the tree. They are met by the arms of Jesus. (laughs) He loves us so much. And he says, I want to help. I want to help. I want you to come to me, talk with me. Let me forgive you. Let me teach you how to forgive yourself. Then you begin to work miracles, work miracles. Oh my, I've seen through so many miracles. So many being free from the things that's holding them captive. Thank you for those that were honest and stood that want what you give and that's freedom freedom Jesus name Father in the name of Jesus we break Satan's authority over their lives the strongholds that the enemy has sown into their hearts 
for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not our father, our mother. It's not any person. It is Satan, the, the, the accuser of the brethren, who has sown these seeds into the hearts and lives of these men and women. And we've been given authority over him, and we bind you in the name of Jesus. We break that generational curse in the name of Jesus. And we declare that each one of these men and women of God shall be free. They shall walk in this freedom. And you shall not come back in the name of Jesus. Father, we just ask you to fill them again with the Holy Spirit. Strengthen them through the Word and with the Holy Spirit. And begin to open the eyes of their understanding. That they would begin to see the hope of your calling for their life that is theirs in Christ Jesus. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Before you seated, I want to give you just a word. What's brought me out of this as I got honest with God. And I just opened my heart to Him, just as our brother did. And say, I'm not where I need to be. I don't know you the way I want to know you. And I've always been somebody that figures out how to get things done. I was an ex-lawyer. I know how to answer things, work things out. And I had to come to the end of myself and say, I don't know how to get myself out. I don't know how. I'm just calling out to you as your son. And God began to turn things around. And just as with you, it was slowly and surely... But it came through this, setting your eyes on Jesus, seeking after Jesus alone, and answering the call. Those of you that go here know a year or so ago, I spent almost a whole year on come, follow me. It's the relationship with Jesus. None of the rest really matters. Just come, follow me. He's called you personally by name. He's called you personally, knowing everything about you that exists even more than you know. And He chose you personally to come and to follow Him. And now we need to respond to that. Just every day, start your day. Jesus, Jesus, I'm here to follow you today. And you set your heart on Him. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Those of you watching online, this was for you too. You're not spectators. I know there are people out there that this has touched your heart. This has touched your heart, and God loves you just as everyone here. And the wonderful thing we have is there's no difference in the Spirit. Right now where you are, that prayer touches you also. Open your heart to Him. Be honest and real with Him. And share with somebody that you can trust what you're going through. What I want to do now is I want to give an invitation. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're visiting us because of our speaker today. Or you're watching online and you've been watching for a while. Or maybe you're new. You may have stumbled across this today. Because this is not only online, but this will eventually be on commercial television here. It's not an accident that you're watching today. It's not a coincidence. This is an appointment that God had ordained for you before the foundation of the world because He loves you. He loves you so much He sent His only begotten Son to this earth 
to walk among us for 33 and a half years and to be one of us and yet still God. Sinless, never sinned. But at the appointed time, he laid his life down and he, God put his son on that cross. His sinless son on that cross and God took your sin and my sin and the sin of everyone else here and he laid that sin on his sinless son and God poured out on his son his righteous wrath and judgment for your sins on his son so that he could legally give you his son's righteousness that you didn't earn and that you can't earn all you need to do to receive that is to admit that you failed and to humble yourself enough to realize I need to receive that gift into my life that gift of his son Jesus Christ and when you do that you're making a commitment to him that he's committed to you his life to commit to him as best you can your life so if you're ready to do that and you mean that, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Those of you that are here, join me. Those of you that are watching online, just mean this as best you can. He'll meet you where you are. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. The good and the mess and I put it into your hands to be Lord fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of your days thank you for loving me this much amen now if you pray that with me for the first time or maybe you made a recommitment of your life to the Lord here's what I want you to do there's a phone number at the bottom of your screen if you call that number tomorrow, some a live person will answer that phone because we want to send you some free material to give you a better understanding of what you've done today. We'd love to hear from you. And the second thing is you need to tune in next week as we continue on this course, or better yet, come and join us at 9.30 here. And if you do, please come up and, and greet me, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. If you were here this morning in person and you prayed that for the first time, or maybe you made a recommitment to your Lord, when you exit in just a few moments and go out into the foyer, if you go around to the right, there's a cafe there. It says Common Grounds. Someone will be there with you to meet with you and give you the same materials that we're offering to those online.